2: Three, two, roll A. Fade up on A.
0: Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Well, good Monday afternoon. Welcome to another week of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Mississippi. We're glad you're with us this afternoon. Bob Getty, I'm in the First Bank studio here in Hattiesburg. Luke off for a few days. I think he'll be back Thursday. Opening segment of the show sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit. Always love plugging Dickie's. Great food, great people. They're open seven days a week here in Hattiesburg. You can enjoy their delicious food in the dining room, the drive through or take-home delivery. However you choose, be sure you choose. Dickie's Barbecue. Kelly Sander joins me later in the show, but I'm going to kick off the week with a great guest and uh, a gentleman who's been on the show before, but we always uh, enjoy our conversations uh, with General Jeff Hammond. General, how are you this afternoon?
1: Uh, Bob, I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, The general, of course, is the Director of uh, Veteran and Military Affairs for the university. We'll be talking about that uh, before we let him go today, but I want to reminisce a little bit with you, General Hammond, I, and I had a chance to talk to you just a little bit before we went on the air. You were the uh, quarterback for the Golden Eagle football team from 1976 through 78, right at the, at the dawn of the Bobby Collins era. And I want to go through a couple of fascinating facts. Uh, you're, you guys, your first year, you uh, had lost nine straight games. Now, that sounds bad, but I want to point out to our listeners the teams you had played. Virginia Tech, Ole Miss, Alabama, Cincinnati, BYU, Florida State, and Mississippi State. A a schedule that today, General, no one could even comprehend.
1: That's a tough schedule for any, uh, that's a top ten schedule. If you can win those, nowadays you're in the top. So, yeah, it was a tough year. The first nine were a stiff competition. We were coming off of a successful year, which is Coach Collins' first year, but we had a lot of changes, a lot of seniors left us, and, uh, and we struggled for those first nine games. It was tough.
0: But you You won the last two. And I want to take you back to that game against Memphis. You come in there 0-9. You're playing Memphis. All, Memphis is never easy. No, you know, never was at any time that Southern Miss played them. Uh, big, big, big game, wasn't it, to win that?
1: It was. You know, I came out of a high school in Memphis. Uh, I had not played. During the season, uh, other than on special teams, I begged Coach Collins to let me play wedge man on the kickoff of turns. I, I said, I want to make a difference. I'm tired of losing. Uh, so I went from being a wedge man to, uh, I believe it was the Friday before that Memphis State game, Coach Collins says you're going to start. And, and dumb old me, not knowing any better, I said, well, Coach, that's great, but can I still be the wedge man? He just looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we beat them. We beat them in Hattiesburg. It was uh, one of the biggest victories for the program at the time because it, it it changed our direction. It certainly did.
0: No question. And, and you were there. You were there at the genesis of what I think was when the program got its national footing under Coach Collins. So you go two and nine, but again, you played a, a just an incredibly brutal schedule. The next year, you guys improved to six and six, but. Three magnificent wins, 24-13 over Auburn, 27-19 over Ole Miss, 14-7 over Mississippi State.
1: That was special. Three uh, SEC wins. Uh, I well remember the Ole Miss victory because the week before, Ole Miss had defeated Notre Dame and Jackson, and we had defeated Auburn at Auburn. Uh, And I'm not sure how Ole Miss viewed that game because it was their homecoming. But for us, it was time to settle the score. Uh, and we went in there and, and we beat them up and down the field, and, and that became a defining moment. I th- I think from that forward, we sort of made a conscious decision that uh, we could beat anyone we choose to go up against because uh, we're pretty tough ourselves, yeah.
0: Well, no question. You're you're playing the best programs in the country, but was even, even playing those types of schedules, was there something a little different when you played Ole Miss and Mississippi State?
1: Yes, there will. I mean, it, there always will be. Um, you know, we was, we always have. Even now, we are a chip on the shoulder university where uh, we pride ourselves in the fact that nothing's easy. We have to work scratch and claw to get what uh, we we earn, and we respect what we earn. And so, for us, that any chance to play either of those two programs was an opportunity to what we used to say was to. Uh, in for, under Coach Collins, was we're going to do two things. We're going to enforce our will, and we're going to take away their hope. And that's kind of how we approached it, particularly with those what we call them rival games.
0: Right. 78, your senior year, you, things really turn around. You guys go 7-4. and four. You got a nice 22-17 win over Mississippi State, and you shellacked the Louisville Cardinals 37-3. to did, did the team realize at that point – uh, that under Coach Collins uh, things were different and were just going to get better and better?
1: I think the team realized that that we can become anything we want to, but ha- but we had to put aside our individual differences. And we were going through an era, I thought, uh, young people, and I was a young person then, where, you know, this individualism thing. And we sort of decided, I can remember we had many private meetings as a team coach is not invited, and they were throw-down affairs, uh, but we'd walk out of there with the conviction that, that this whole idea is team, 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 and this individuality crap is going to be pushed aside. Plus, we had some incredible, incredible difference-maker on-the-field leadership, you know, on defense, Cliff Lewis, Clump Taylor. Uh, we had quality people that could translate the coach's intent from the film room to the sideline, onto the field and uh, make a difference. And it, and it was a lot of fun because we were tight, we were close, and, and we loved each other. We really did.
0: Right. 79-81, to 81. Coach, this is right after you left. Coach Collins really blows up and the uh, team gets in the, uh, in the top 10 at one point under his leadership. Uh, I'll never forget that. I was uh, working at at WDAM-TV and doing the morning news. And on my way to news, to the news desk that morning, uh, my boss called me and said, Southern Miss just got ranked in the top ten. That's the lead story. Uh, so, but you guys were the foundation of that, Coach. Uh, I'm sorry, General. You were the foundation of that under Coach Collins. Talk for a minute about Bobby Collins and, and what Bobby Collins did to turn things around. So,
1: Well, you know, I, I think I could probably capsulate the spirit of Bobby Collins with a very short story. The first when he took uh, the role of head coach, we had a meeting in the second floor of the athletic complex. I think it was a defense room, and he introduced himself. He introduced Mac Brown, Daryl Moody, a few of the others, and we're all sitting in there. And then he says, "The offense." He says, "If you're on the offense, you have ten minutes to get to Van Hall and get changed and report to the weight room. And if you're on the defense, you have ten minutes." to get changed and get out on the field for winter workouts. And he said, if you're one minute late, keep going. Go home. And and we came, we went changed, and we came running back, and there's a bunch of garbage cans lined up outside the weight room. So we're saying, what is going on? And we finally figured out after the most miserable, toughest workout in our lives, the garbage can, because we're all walking out there throwing up, sick of <laughs> the dogs. And, and he, he, the whole culture changed overnight. It went from being... Uh, And we lost quite a few guys, couldn't uh, hang in there, but he brought in some incredible assistance. Coach Collins was uh, finally, you know, when I was promoted to general officer, he's one of the two people I called to thank. I said, I I learned leadership from you on the football field, and uh, to this day I'm forever grateful. Great coach, great man, great leader, and uh, an incredible role model.
0: In general, put in perspective, I have trouble doing this when I talk to younger Golden Eagle fans, but maybe you can do a better job than me. Put into perspective the excitement that existed in the Hattiesburg community when the Bobby Collins football teams began to knock off these big names and and the football program began to surge. How It was exciting, wasn't it?
1: Well, you know, it was eagle fever. That was the, uh, right. the phrase back then. It was... Uh, people came out to the games, um, win or lose. People were there for us. Uh, there was just an incredible, incredible attitude around the whole community here. Everyone, everyone was on board with, with USM football, and and it was a, it was a delight. It was a real delight to to go to the mall, me and teammate, walk around, and then everyone would well wish you. Um, and and Coach Collins brought that to us with his. Positive attitude, his spirit, and but but I think what he the secret of his success might have been the people he surrounded himself with. I mean, you look at some of the people, the assistants he hired in that era that he had. You know, Mac Brown, for example, uh, there are guys that that could echo his spirit, his drive, his energy, uh, and and it permeated everything we did. It wasn't just football; it was academics. I mean, we you couldn't skip a beat under Coach Collins with academics. You better not miss a class, and you better be making grades because. He was watching. It was amazing. But, uh, no, we, we bought in. He incited us, uh, got us excited. We all bought in. Those that didn't, some of the kids had to leave.
0: Well, you started in uh, 1976. Uh, the university has always been a big part of your life. I think that's fair to say. It's still, you're playing a vital role in the university today. I want to talk uh, a little bit about today's world of college sports, uh, General and uh, what you're doing as the Director of Veteran and Military Affairs for Southern Miss. So will you hang on with me?
1: Yes, sir. Glad to.
0: General Jeff Hammond, everybody, on the Eagle Hour. More with uh, this great man right after this break. southern miss to the, top. to the top you're tuned in to the eagle hour second segment of the eagle hour sponsored every day by campus book and campusbookboard.net great uh, business on hardy street right across from the campus and a great place to buy your southern miss swag all right kelly Center will be joining me a little later in the show but i want to continue our visit uh, with general jeff hammond Football star for the Golden Eagles from 76 uh, through 79, 78 and, of course, former uh, athletic director at USM, uh, former commanding general of the 4th Infantry Division in the United States Army and commander of U.S. forces in Baghdad, Iraq. Uh, general, this may be a crazy question. Just tell me if it is. But were there were there any things that you took from being a college athlete at Southern Miss that helped you? when? you were assigned the awesome responsibility of commanding the 4th Infantry Division?
1: Yes, foremost and to the core it was uh, what Coach Collins taught me here about leadership. It's only two words. It's follow me. And it means uh, don't do as I say, do as I do. And I learned that at Southern Miss. I learned the art of follow me leadership, which I was able to apply uh, through my years in the Army, particularly years in combat.
0: And uh, when you look back on those years, uh, General, what um, what is the first thing that that comes to your mind when you think about uh, that incredible experience that you had?
1: I uh, talking to U.S. Sam or
0: with the uh, army? in the army when you were commanding um, forces in Iraq.
1: I think it was more than anything else. It was the incredible heart of service that these young men and women possess. Most of the kids I led in combat, in particular, were kids that raised their hand and volunteered to serve after 9-11. So they had the moral courage at a young age to step up and the, to identify something bigger, more important than themselves. And uh, the incredible sacrifice the soldier families would make to ensure that their troop could go forth and, and, and do their duty. So I guess the short answer is the spirit of the American soldier the patriotic uh, spirit to do their best and um, represent our nation in a way that's the envy of all others.
0: You know, my son was in the military. I remember him telling me once that he had never been in a more diverse community where no one saw anything except brotherhood, that everybody everybody that he was associated with, those were his brothers uh, in arms, so to speak, in the military. And now we – we seem to see be in an era where uh, some in leadership are trying to interject uh, critical race theory and and all of these social experiments on the military. And I'm not going to ask you about this much, but I was I was curious to get your opinion of that. It would seem to me that uh, that the military uh, should be left alone when it comes to all of that.
1: Well, I, I think it's it's of greatest paramount that. The military of the United States reflects society, the way society looks. And I think it's, I think our founding fathers, when they had in mind what the American society should look like, uh, I think without them realizing at the time, I think we, the closest we've gotten is the military. uh, Because we're all one color in the military. We're in the Army, we're green, and we serve with a common bond and and a trust and faith in each other and a common shared sacrifice that comes with that. So, um, the country's going through some, some changing times here, wrestling with, uh, social issues. And I, I truly believe that in, at the end of the day, it's like a pendulum swing, swinging back one direction. We'll eventually figure it out. It's just, it's always hard to wrestle with, with, with problems and change. And, um, eventually I think, um, If we stay one nation under God, we're going to be okay.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. General, under your direction, uh, Southern Miss was recently named as one of the top three universities in the entire country for service uh, to veterans. Now, you're the director of veteran and military affairs for Southern Miss. So, first of all, congratulations on that recognition. But for our listening audience that may not know, uh, let them them know what uh, the veteran of military affairs uh, department is doing at Southern Miss for Veterans.
1: Well, thanks a bunch. You know, we, we started this program about seven years ago with about 300 youngsters. Uh, today, we're well over 1,700. We're, we went from being unranked to uh, now we're number three in the nation. We're also building a multi million dollar veteran center on this campus, which should be completed in January. We've come a long way. Uh, and I like to say we're, we're number three, pushing hard to be number one simply because we care. Uh, if you're a veteran, a family member, a veteran, a National Guardsman, an active duty service member, uh, we're here for you. We're, we're going to be your uh, battle buddy, your partner, to get you through this uh, and earn your degree and find you a job. And we do it better than anyone else. Um, and we're proud that we can because we have the support of a, uh, the best university I know of, and that's the University of Southern Mississippi.
0: And, and is this primarily for, for young men and women that are transitioning out of the military Back into civilian life. Do I understand that right?
1: Well, it's a combination. We we you know we call ourselves the Center for Military Veterans, and that's those transitioning service members, those that remain on active duty. They can take our coursework online, and then family members, family members of a veteran, active duty, National Guard member. Uh, we're there for all all in that lineup, uh, and particularly uh, our National Guard here in the state of Mississippi, where. They, we now have a free tuition program to uh, care for them and get them uh, set up for success here at USM as well.
0: Interesting that you said families. I, I know that my wife and I learned that, <laughs> that families uh, that have people they love in the military, they make a lot of sacrifices and have a lot of worrisome nights themselves, don't they, General?
1: It's The toughest job in the military is not the soldier on the front line. because We get to do what we've been trained to do. We've been hungry to see if we're up to the test. It's the family members, the families that have to stay back and deal with the challenges that are remarkable. they so tough. My wife uh, is my hero. She's uh, not only the love of my life, but the hero of my life uh, because she's always been there caring for families, dealing with the loss of life, and uh, keeping me propped up during the tough times.
0: And those families deal with uh, something that many never experience, and that is the pain of long-term separation from people that are most important to them in their lives, right?
1: It's hard. I, my last combat tour as a commander of the 4th Infantry, we, had the, uh, we went there. We were deployed during the surge period, and we had the longest tour of anyone. So my soldiers missed uh, two Christmases, uh, two, two of everything. Uh, and one 's hard enough, but to miss two of it and then and come you know add to that graduations birthdays um, everything else it 's uh that 's hard it 's hard
0: right right how how can people reach out uh to the department that you 're running uh you know if, if they have questions or 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 maybe want to maybe want to learn more about what you guys are doing
1: well you can 3503 on Morningside Drive, right now until January, or just call me at 264 uh, uh, 4629. My line's always open. I'm, I'm a great listener. I'm always looking for new ideas. I'm also looking for people that, that want to help support these youngsters. And uh, the family continues to grow every day. The, what I call it, the family of, of supporters continues to expand throughout South Mississippi, and everyone's invited. if you're looking to be a part of something that's bigger than all of us, uh, we're probably a good place to look.
0: And I understand you've gotten a lot of support from the administration at the university with this program.
1: We do. USM, I I, I like to think, is probably the premier university with respect to support of uh, our military. We're located between our two campuses here on the coast. We've got an active duty, uh, Air Force active duty, uh, Navy. We also have... uh, Uh, Camp Shelby. I mean, we're surrounded, and we recognize that, and our faculty and staff and administrators do a fantastic job of reaching out to our military and making sure they understand that uh, home is right here in Hattiesburg or on Long Beach. We are inviting you to join us.
0: Well, that's great stuff. All right, General, before I let you go, we've got about a minute left. Uh, You're an old-school football guy. You guys had to be tough just to play the schedules that you played. Uh, your observation of football right now at Southern Miss, what are you expecting this year, General Hammond?
1: Well, a new coach and a new staff brings with it much anticipation and really a fresh new start. I think there's going to be a change in the team culture, a change in the team dynamics. Uh, I think we've got an exciting coach who's brought a wonderful staff. He's got a week through things, as any new coach does. We have to be patient, and we have to do our job, and our job – as a university family and a community, is to is to support, be a part of it, and support this team and what it's going to do. And I tell you, if you take your time to wade through it and look closely, he's doing things right. I think we're going to be. I think we're going to do some great things here down the road. It's not going to happen overnight. That's why they give a guy a four-year contract.
0: Right, but I agree with you. There's a there's a new sense of excitement, is there not, General?
1: Oh, it's incredible. You can feel it, and I I can't wait. I mean. It's um, and I've met a couple of ball players, and, and I think everyone's bought in. And so, let's uh, let's give this thing a chance. We're going to be back,
0: General. I want to thank you on behalf of all our listening audience for everything you've done at Southern Miss, for everything you've done for our country, and now what you're doing uh, for our veterans and and their families here at, at the university. Thank you so much for your time, sir.
1: Thank you, Bob. Take care. All
0: right, General Jeff Hammond. Everybody, a true American hero on the Eagle Hour. And miss to the top say hello to our buddies at fourth street bar and grill slade the gang what a great place great lunches every day 895 for a great plate lunch uh, and don't forget friday's the best catfish you'll ever eat great in adult entertainment in the evenings and always a southern miss game on or a game uh, that's being played you'll find it at fourth street Bar and grill I want to thank uh, general jeff hammond for coming on the eagle hour fun reminiscing about that Kelly Sander joins me. Kelly, uh, General Hammond and I were talking about uh, his first season uh, there under Bobby Collins. They went two and nine. They won their last two games of the year. And that was the beginning of the turnaround. Uh, next year, they were six and six, then seven and four. And then you know what happened the last three years where they really bolted into the top 10 and national prominence. But in 1976, Kelly, among their losses and part of their schedule, Virginia Tech, Ole Miss, Alabama, Cincinnati, BYU, Florida State, Mississippi State, Memphis. (laughs) I'm not talking about during his career, Kelly Sander. I'm talking about one year. That was the schedule one year.
2: That's pretty pretty remarkable. Now, you mentioned some of those schools, and you don't know what their programs were like then. I mean, I do remember that Florida State, until – Bobby Bowden got there. Florida State was not very good. Um, but if you put the, all those schools in perspective today, that would be a brutal schedule as far as wins and losses goes. Now, they'd all probably bring pretty good paychecks. Um, but, golly, you talk about nowadays, there's, there's no gimme there.
0: No, you know? no. I, I um, guess if you went through that schedule in today's world undefeated, you would... Perhaps be playing on uh, in the final four almost. I mean, it's it's that strong a schedule where you really look at it on paper.
2: Yeah, and and the other three teams would be from the SEC, regardless.
0: Right. That's (laughs) exactly. Well, of course, Kelly. Just like the other, like the last two in the College World Series are. Now, speaking of that, let me say, in full disclosure, I've watched pretty much every game in the College World Series. And and while I'm not a Mississippi State fan, I will tell you that Mississippi State has earned the right to play for the national championship. They have answered the bell at every turn. They have been strong. They have been determined. Uh, They deserve to be where they are. Vanderbilt, on the other hand, no fault of the Vanderbilt players and coaches, but Kelly Santer, how in the world can the NCAA justify what it did to North Carolina State?
2: I think this was the death blow of the NCAA. I you know, especially since the North Carolina State players who couldn't play because of COVID protocols, but they were allowed to buy tickets and sit in the stand. right, so if they were at risk to each other and other teams, why were they allowed to sit among the thousands of other fans? Uh, you know, involving you know, including Mississippi State, um, and I, I'll tell you, I I really I, I don't know whether to admire North Carolina State or smack them because they have handled this much better than I would have. Uh, I would be raising sixteen kinds of you know what, right? Uh, and they they have been so gracious in the way that they have handled it, but there's not a single baseball fan that i have seen on social media, broadcasters or whatever that agree with this decision. It's 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 almost and and i mean there have been people that have gone so far as to ask is has college baseball has the ncaa gotten to be professional wrestling to where it's scripted they they know what's going to they know who they want. They're going to try to figure out how to get them there one way or another. That it's predetermined. That the answers are predetermined. Yeah. Um And based on what happened, I understand why the question is asked. It's just preposterous, preposterous. And I can't. North Carolina State taking it the way that they've taken it. They're better than I am.
0: All right. Well, there's so many angles that we don't have time to discuss every question right. it raises, but but here's just a couple. You're going to let 26,000 unmasked people sit in the stands. You're going to allow the North Carolina State players who you've banned from playing to sit in the stands, but you're going to take that team out of the tournament before because four kids, asymptomatic, totally asymptomatic, tested positive for a virus it's preposterous Kelly
2: and, and some of and some Southern miss fans including Roger Cameron who's a big fan of, of this show, Roger Cameron even said on his on his Twitter account he said you know so if North Carolina state if these players on North Carolina State who you know tested positive, they played Vanderbilt right so, so the Vanderbilt players were exposed to these guys. Right, so why isn't Vanderbilt being? Why isn't Vanderbilt being uh, roped off? Right, why aren't they being quarantined? Why are they allowed to go on, but North Carolina State isn't?
0: Well, that's a great point, and you you have to realize too that that when they first did this, they they cut North Carolina State's pitch uh, their roster down to thirteen kids to play, right, and only four had tested positive. Uh, so the the majority of the ones that they took off the field had not tested positive for anything. They had just been in the you know supposedly exposed to the ones that tested positive. Well wouldn't the uh, the players from whatever team those kids had played the day before were they not exposed to them as well?
2: that's that's Roger Cameron's point is that that if you're going to take North Carolina State out, then you have to take Vanderbilt out as well. For, for the same reasons. Right. But yeah, it begs the question, and, and you know, both of us know, you and I both know people that work in, in major league pro baseball, major league baseball, and they've even, you know, I got to talk to some of them in Fort Myers, Florida this weekend, and they and they've even, you know, are asking, it, it's almost as if the NCAA absolutely wants Vanderbilt to be in the final because two of the top five picks, in the major league draft are probably going to be pitchers from Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to be able to showcase, you know, those pitchers in a national spotlight, regardless of who the opponent was, Vanderbilt was going to be in the final and they were going to do whatever they could to get Vanderbilt to that final. Now you certainly hope that that's not the case, but boy, it stinks to high heaven. It was just, just a terrible, terrible decision um, in a, in a, format now that the NCAA I just don't know how the NCAA is going to have a leg to stand on going forward and how much more that these schools are going to put up with right and why is the NCAA even necessary
0: all right does this taint the world series who whoever wins is it a world series that there should be an asterisk beside the champion
2: no i don't i don't think that um, and again you you, you made have made it very clear this is not an anti-Vanderbilt, you know, no. stance here. We, You know, Vanderbilt's a very good team, um, have been for a long time, and it's not Vanderbilt's fault. But what's good for the goose has got to be good for the gander. And if you're going to pull North Carolina State out of the tournament because of COVID protocols, the entire Vanderbilt team was exposed to North Carolina State, and you have to do the same thing. To Vanderbilt. I just I just don't see how it could be any other way. Right.
0: right here's the bottom line. Mississippi State earned its spot in the National uh, Championship Finals. Vanderbilt was given theirs. Fair? Yes. Yeah. There's no really arguing yeah, and, that, is there?
2: Yeah, and, and I and I'm 100% behind Mississippi State. I you know, I know that they're baseball-wise, they're not as open to playing the Golden Eagles as much as Ole Miss is. Um, and if Ole Miss, you know, if I had to choose between Ole Miss and Mississippi State being in the finals because of their stance toward playing Southern Miss, I'd prefer Ole Miss be there. But that's not the way it is. Mississippi State is. I'm a Mississippian. I'm going to cheer for Mississippi State as hard as I can. Uh, and, again, with a little bit of um, angst against Vanderbilt just because of the way that they got there. Um, I just, man, it's just, like I said, it stinks to high heaven. I hate that I hate that this is the way it is, but you can't you, you can't argue that both the teams that are there are are really good baseball teams.
0: No, you can't argue that Mississippi State has earned its way there. As I right. say, they answered the bell at every yeah. turn. They came from behind, won every game. Uh, they did everything that uh, you could ask a team to do, so you, you obviously have to wish them good luck. All right, when we come back, Kelly just got back from Florida. His son works for the Minnesota Twins organization. Uh, Kelly has maybe a little news about uh, about Matt Waldner, and uh, Kelly expressed to me that that uh, he has never been to the place below Earth uh, that starts with H and ends with L, but uh, temperature-wise, you felt pretty close to it. Is that a pretty accurate description, Kelly?
2: If it is any hotter in that place, Bob, everybody needs to repent right now. (laughs) Jolly. Hot and humid.
0: All right. Repent during the break. Is that what we're hearing, Kelly?
2: At least start, (laughs) yes.
0: All right. Kelly has repented, and uh, he never wants to go back into that humidity again. We'll find out what he experienced in Florida and what he learned about Matt Walner, who's with the Twins organization, when we come back. the top all right d1 d bat that's a place to take your kid if they want to improve their baseball or softball game that's a place for you to go if you want to improve your game whatever sport that may be they're located on hardy street Uh, they've got a fantastic facility and uh, kelly's been there he can uh, give you a testimony about that and it's just a wonderful establishment we appreciate their support of our program we're glad to be partnered uh, with d1 and d bat all right, Kelly. We talked enough about the World Series uh, BS. Uh, you were down in Florida. Your son, John Carter, works for the Minnesota Twins organization. I want you to let people know what what John Carter does with the Twins, and also you uh, you said that the Matt Walner was in the same area with you.
2: Yeah, that's right. Matt Walner, who was who was assigned to the Cedar Rapids team, uh, the, with the Minnesota Twins, but uh, but and was having a great year, but then uh, broke his hand. A uh, part of his hand, so he's down. He's down in the Fort Myers area, you know, kind of rehabbing that hand, getting it, um, you know, ready to go. It's, it's so interesting, you know. You see these guys that are Matt Walner's size, and and you think that these guys are nearly indestructible, and then one little bone in your hand, you know, right. one tiny little bone in your hand gets broken, and you can't, you know, you can't grip a bat properly. You, it's just amazing what a machine the human body is, but if little part you know, isn't, isn't right. It can, can cause problems. So he's down in the Fort Myers area and they're hoping to, you know, get him back up there within the next, uh, within the next month. But yeah, man, hot and humid down there. I mean, I understand why spring training, um, locations down there, you know, are ideal, but boy, oh boy, this time of year <laughs> is not the time to go to Fort Myers, Florida, any place down there, hot and humid. Oh my gosh. Um, I do not think I've I've been that hot. Of course I'm I'm a full figure gal anyway, you know. Husky. <laughs> yes, that's right. And to go out there in the heat and humidity. We were playing miniature golf yesterday. And if have you ever worked up a sweat playing miniature? <laughs> that's
0: miniature not golf? a good sign, Kelly.
2: <laughs> no. No. What uh, what does
0: Sean Carter do there, Kelly?
2: He, he works in player development, and he is—he's uh, one of the sets of eyes and ears for the big league club in Minneapolis. He's with their rookie rookie league team down there, so he you know, does a lot of uh, filming of swings and and critiques uh, deliveries of pitchers and and hitters. And he doesn't—he and his crew—they don't make any decisions as to who gets moved up. They simply report what they see, and then the powers that be up in Minneapolis determine you know who. Who gets to you know move up to the next level, and um, so that's that's kind of what he does. And they're in their, you know, in their season now down there, so they keep they keep pretty busy. But they've had a lot of rain, just like we have here, which has been you know problematic because you know, I think he said every day for the past 17 days in a row they've had rain at some point during the day. Hmm. Uh, about those fun. thunderstorms coming off the Gulf, and you know, except it rains. Real hard for about an hour and then moves on. I said, Well, we can certainly relate to that, you know, here in, in South Mississippi. But, um, well, I got to, got to see a little bit of the, uh, inside way those, those teams work. Uh, I, I do understand too that I, the first, probably the first 20 minutes, Bob, that I was there, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not making light of it. I'm simply making the point. There was not one player that spoke English as their primary language.
0: In so the Twins what, organization. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah.
2: Um, so you're, and I think one of the things that COVID, um, as baseball looks at how it's running its business and having to tighten its belt financially because of the hit it took during COVID, um, I, I think you're going to see a lot more Latin American players, other than pitchers and catchers. Uh, and you look, you even look at the major league rosters now. Um, and see how many non i mean how many uh, players of, of Latino descent I'm not even sure if I'm using that terminology properly, but spanish speaking players occupying most of the positions other than uh, pitchers and catchers
0: well Kelly, why is that I mean you know you know there are thousands of of young American kids that are excellent baseball players
1: yeah
2: I think, I think for one thing uh the, I hesitate to use the word spoiled, but, but American kids have, you know, and most of the kids who play travel ball, most of them come from what, what you would, what you would call affluent families, you know, families that can afford to, to fly to all these national showcases and stay in hotels and eat at restaurants, you know, all these where the Latino kids generally don't come from that background, um, the Latino kids generally, and again, we're painting with a very broad brush here, so I don't want to make anybody mad, but the work ethic among the Latino players um, I am told tends to be much better. they're harder workers, and the bottom line is is they will generally work for cheaper mm-hmm. you know a lot of the a lot of the American players they're told about how much money they can make, and they're not going to sign for a penny less than two million dollars well, when you can go and get a a Latino player that will play for a lot less. Um, That's With COVID having affected a lot of these teams' bottom line, they're going to have to start making decisions based on the bottom line. That's interesting. All
0: right, good trip for Kelly. Father Tommy Conway on the show tomorrow. We're going to have some great sideline memories to talk about there. Heath Hinton will join us uh, as well. Shelton Gandy on the show Thursday. Kelly joining me each and every day. Glad to have you back, center We'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Until then, Southern Miss. To the top. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping Into the future I want to fly like an eagle To the sea